Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Our title sponsor is Peterson Toyota, a great Ram Nation partner that prides itself on excellent service and delivering you the vehicle that is right for you. They've been in business for more than 50 years, and they are the largest dealership in northern Colorado. Winter is here, and at some point, we're actually anticipating some snow. And when that happens, you'll want a vehicle that can handle the conditions like the all-wheel drive Camry, Highlander, RAV4, 4Runner, and the new Corolla Crossover. Peterson Toyota's knowledgeable, friendly staff will help you find a great vehicle for you. If you're in the market for a new or used vehicle, please give Peterson Toyota a first shot at your business. Thanks. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Ram Nation Radio. I'm Joel Cantalamessa. I'm joined by Steve Ivey, author of Crackers College Hoops blog. We are hope, hoping to have Mike Rowe join us. I think he's traveling right now and was going to try to hop on uh, for a little bit. I hope everybody had a very Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. I know you're all gearing up for the new year, and we're all hoping that 2022 brings some more normalcy than we've seen in the last couple of years. I know I am for sure. Uh, just before hopping on here, I watched Air Force, a 13-point underdog at home against Utah State, stifle the Aggies 49-47 to in a win at Clune Arena in Colorado Springs. And the Falcons will be the Rams' next opponent. As you all know, the Rams have been on a pause due to covid uh, with two non-conference games canceled, the Mountain West opener against New Mexico postponed this week. So the first conference game the Rams will play against those pesky little Falcons is January 4th. Uh, that'll be a three and a half week break in between games. So uh, it certainly makes you a little bit more on guard for that game, seeing what they just did to Utah State, completely shut them down offensively. Uh, the women last night pulled off a gutsy 81-77 win over Boise State. In their own, they had their own two-week COVID pause. They only had eight uh, players dressed last night. Uh, McKenna Hofschild was huge, 32 points. Uh, Atuso, uh, Atosu and Farkas added 19 and 16. Uh, that makes them 10 and 1, while the men are 10 and 0. Ten, uh, men are 20th in both the Associated Press and coaches' polls. It's the first time in history that the Rams have been ranked for three straight weeks, uh, moving up to 20th. So, uh, But today, we're going to talk Mountain West Conference hoops as a whole. And to help us do so, we're honored to bring in Jeff Grammer, the Albuquerque Journal, where he's been since uh, 2012. Is that right, Jeff? Yep, that's he right. He served as the beat writer for uh, the New Mexico Lobos. And in our opinion, he's the premier journalist covering the Mountain West Conference uh, basketball. So, Jeff, we really appreciate you joining us, spending some time with us. No, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, first of all, I know that uh, you actually went to that other school in New Mexico, New Mexico State, down in Las Cruces. How has that worked out with, with Lobo fans being on this beat for so long? That is one of the kindest descriptions of that other school I've, I've had um, in relation to talking about me being the Albuquerque Journal writer. Um, but yeah, I, I am the New Mexico State graduate covering the Lobos. And, and in case I ever forget that, I'm reminded of it frequently from our readers. And uh, it, uh, it, it, look, it, it used to be a little more serious. Um, I, I think genuine from, from some of the readers, if they thought my writing was slanted, they, I think they were a lot more genuine about it. Now it's kind of turned into a little bit more of a game. I think both fan bases love me and hate me both equally at this point. So uh, it's, uh, it's kind of divided at this point and it's kind of <laughs> turned into a little bit of fun. So man without a home almost. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. So, um, you know, we were all excited to get conference play underway here. Um, you know, the game uh, against New Mexico was 
last night supposed to be last night uh Wednesday, uh what are we at this is two this is wednesday right so it's supposed to be tuesday this is december 28th um have you heard anything as far as how the conference is gonna go about trying to reschedule that or what the most likely scenario would would be for that uh, no i haven't and that's it's interesting because first of all they they, they re redid the cancellation policy and they should have they did the right thing i think by not making it a forfeit um I, I, I'm guessing most people kind of get the, the rundown. I won't go too in depth, but a couple months ago when they made a cancellation policy that called for forfeits for games when a team, because of their own COVID case count in their own program, if they couldn't play, they were going to forfeit. They did that when they were trying to emphasize the importance of getting vaccinated because vaccinations just two months ago were believed to kind of be the way to not have pauses and not have cancellations in games. Obviously some variants, um, the most recently a, a variant in particular the, the vaccine doesn't prevent a, a team from getting that so you can have um a fully vaccinated team have eight or nine players three or four staff members all get covid at this point and it's kind of um overly punitive to, to make that team forfeit a game for something they actually did everything they were they were asked to do so i get that they why they changed it um to reschedule it the problem is going into this season, because I think there was maybe a little bit of over-optimism that vaccines were around this year and we weren't going to have any pauses because of it, they didn't really build any flexibility into the schedule. And the Mountain West isn't alone. Conferences all over the country didn't really build in flexibility this year. So when it comes to rescheduling games, it, it's going to be really tough. Um, that said, I, I, as I say, it's going to be really tough to reschedule these games and, and line up you know, open dates for your, for teams. I don't think there's, you know, we're, we're nowhere near yet where the game's pausing and the game's being postponed or over. So I think there will be a lot of openings kind of organically pop up um, that weren't scheduled to, to open up. But uh, if you just look at the schedule as written right now, it's going to be tough to, to reschedule some of these games. You wonder if we'll get into a scenario where they do another back-to-back -back night kind of thing, uh, you know, in Albuquerque or in Fort Collins, whatever that may be. Right. Um, like they did last year. So we, we had talked to, to our athletic director, Joe Parker last week. Uh, it was just basically hours before they, he had, Joe had told us that there was a meeting scheduled with the conference and they were going to discuss as one of the things that we're going to discuss is the, the forfeit policy and the COVID procedures and policies Had you prior to uh, this announcement of the postponement talk to AD uh, Eddie Nunez or coach Patino about, their feelings before and after the announcement. Yeah, they're on they're on board with changing you know forfeit to no contest. They 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 know that's the right thing to do. They also know they're not ready to play Colorado State right now. They also would have loved a, a one and zero top twenty win. That that would have been wonderful. Um, but it's not really like that's how it would have counted anyway. Um, they they know this was the right way to go for the league overall. Um, if you look at New Mexico in in, in a very kind of different rebuild and coaching change than, than maybe some other teams. They, they really are. They got a lot of transfers, but they have a lot of young transfers. They're, they're building. Um, they're kind of hot and cold on any given night. So the start of their schedule with, you know, they have Nevada, Colorado State twice in the first seven or eight games. They have San Diego State and Utah State. They're, they have a chance to start the season 0-6, 0-7, maybe 1-7 or so. So I don't think they mind entirely missing a couple right now this is a team that's probably going to be better in a month or two months than it is right now so I don't think they entirely mind it at all um but they did lose a home game against a ranked opponent 
And after a year where no games were played in the state of New Mexico, you know, they don't want to lose any gates. Um, even if the attendance hasn't been what it once was in the pit, they, they don't really want to lose any gates. So they're hopeful this game gets made up. They don't want it to be a no contest. If it was the road version of the Colorado State UNM game, they might not care. But because it's the home version, I, I think they do want to play this game again down the road. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, Jeff, I, uh, you know, if you go back to 2015, we were undefeated and ranked uh, at CSU and came into New Mexico, New Mexico and got smoked. <laughs> um, that was the end of the undefeated season. And I, I actually talked to uh, one of the assistants about a week or two ago or whatever the last game was. Maybe it was a month ago. Who knows? And I said, you know the game that's going to be the toughest for you in the short term is going to be New Mexico. And he looked at me square in the eye and you know what he said? We know. <laughs> we <laughs> knew it was going to be a tough game. Well, and in recent history too, Musselman's uh, undefeated team came in ranked number six that year. Uh, Nevada came in and, and that was a pretty bad, actually. I think it's 2000, I want to say that was a 2019 season. Um, first week of January, an undefeated Nevada team came into the pit and uh, the Lobos weren't very good that year. It ended up being a seven seed in the tournament and, and knocked off Nevada. So, um, yeah, the pit can do some crazy things, even if it's not quite what it once was, it still, uh, still rises to the occasion once or twice a year. So, Hey, just, a just, a maybe on a little more personal level, um, yeah. you know, last year, the restrictions in New Mexico due to COVID were probably more stringent than anywhere in the country last year. Um, and, you know, I was just curious, are things close to normal for you as a beat writer with the challenges that uh, COVID presented last season? Is it going reasonably well for you this year? Yeah, it's a lot closer to normal than, than what it was last year. And, and I certainly am grateful for that and appreciative of that. Um, not quite entirely back. Um, you know, I'm supposed to fly to Reno on Friday. Uh, they, the, the Lobos play Nevada on Saturday and I'm flying out there Friday. And, you know, I'm, I'm not overly... Um, I guess optimistic or, or happy necessarily. Um, for the first time, I'm kind of thinking like, man, I'm I'm about to hop in a plane in about a two week period where it seems like everybody in the country's getting um, getting hit with COVID right now. So you know, and I'm I'm vaccinated, boosted, and all that kind of stuff. In fact, um, when we get off here, I'm gonna finish uh, logging into the Nevada. Um, there's an app that they have because they have a vaccine requirement um, there that an app. So I'm gonna log in all my info there. Um, but yeah, this is the first time actually that uh, I was thinking like, you know, it's going to be tough for me to travel the next few weeks um, on non-chartered, you know, commercial flights and all that. So uh, I, without, you know, probably getting, getting hit myself and, you know, I got, I got a couple kids, stuff like that. I, I haven't been worried at all going into arenas. Um, haven't really had that thought in my head until probably because of basketball and because of all sports, not just basketball, but the last week or two thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm, it's going to be tough to avoid these next couple of weeks getting hit. Yeah. And, and I think you're right about where we haven't seen the end of these, uh, these pauses due to COVID We just keep our fingers crossed that there's not too much, too much interruption. It's, you know, it's kind of a nice thing that CSU's had it now and hopefully they can get beyond that and play out the rest of the string here. But I, I did see um, just earlier today, Andy Enfield of, uh, of USC, there's somebody was tweeting what he said, or maybe it might've been him who actually said it um, or put it on social media, but basically uh, with the protocols in place right now, if, if you've had it, once you get hit with COVID, you don't have to be tested again for 90 days. Mm-hmm. And so right now this puts teams through March. If, if you're, if you're just getting over COVID right about now, you, you probably are safe. Um, if your whole team's got it, you're probably safe uh, through March at this point. So 
Um, there are some teams looking at that silver lining, obviously in the big picture, depending on everyone's thoughts on all this, which is a whole nother podcast. Um, but depending on your thoughts, like there are some people happy to be getting it right now to have it out of the way. Others might argue you should be tested within 90 days anyway, because of all these variants. But that's a, like I said, another topic right now, it does seem like a good time if it's going to happen to get it out of the way right now. Right. I think I read something to the effect that the ACC was changing its policies as well, as far as the amount of days you have to quarantine and all that due to some updated CDC guidelines. So we'll be interesting to see what the rest of the conferences do related to that, but uh, shifting gears a little bit, um, our arch nemesis, uh, the CU buffs, their, their head coach, Tad Boyle basically said they didn't want to play CSU this year. It's, you know, what they're, they're in a, I wouldn't call it a rebuild, but not, not their, uh, their strongest year. And they know what CSU had this year. And they yeah. thought that there was an opportunity that the two would play each other in the paradise jam. Um, so he didn't want to play a, a, a road game or a host a game against CSU this year. Um, like we have in the, basically most years in the past, we've played at least one game, but the nice thing that you guys have there and, in uh, Albuquerque and Las Cruces is this home and home series that that uh, New Mexico and New Mexico State play. How does that work out? And is that just a every year they do that and both schools are willing to do it? And and why can't, you know, a, a rivalry like CSU and Colorado figure out a way to make that happen? Yeah, that that's ridiculous to me. Those two should be playing it in my mind. Um, New Mexico, maybe New Mexico is unique in that it only has two division one programs. Um, Santa Fe, the state capital, everyone kind of calls all these decisions being made in Santa Fe. Um, there's lawmakers in the southern part of the state and lawmakers in the northern part of the state that know that these two programs make their biggest gate every year, their, their biggest home crowd every year is when they play each other. So there have been years, um, lean years from New Mexico State when Lobo coaches sort of throw out the idea like, man, playing them twice every year doesn't help us. We should be able to have more flexibility and schedule who we want. There was a, a brief period of time, I was a sports editor in Las Cruces briefly, um, when Reggie Theus was the coach down there, they had a good thing going for a couple of years before he took a, a job at Sacramento in the NBA and things haven't gone exactly well for him since, but he, um, he was very open about, I don't want to play New Mexico two years in a row. That was when Richie McKay was the coach and things weren't going well for New Mexico. Um, lawmakers will never let that happen here. There's nothing on paper. There's nothing written, but they will not let um, those two athletic departments, as long as those two athletic departments go to Santa Fe and ask for money every year, which they do from state lawmakers, those state lawmakers are going to remind them, we want you to play each other in each other's home gym at least once a year, and it's going to keep happening. Um, it's a little easier, like I said, because there's only two Division One programs in New Mexico. Um, it's a little tougher, too, for New Mexico State, because they do the same thing with UTEP, which is only 40 minutes away. So four of their non-conference games every year are home and home with UTEP, and a home and home with, with UNM. And um, that does kind of carve into some scheduling flexibility, getting a tournament and who you want to do a home and home with. But I don't think it'll ever change in New Mexico. It'll, it'll stay that way forever. And it should, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Of course, we were disappointed. We didn't get a chance to, to play CU this year. Um, switching gears, Jeff, um, let's start talking uh, Mountain West. Um, uh, from uh I want to know just kind of from bottom to top, how do you see things shaking out in the Mountain West this season? Um, you're, from your perspective, any surprises, any disappointments to date that you've seen? 
from bottom to top, I'll, I'll go with San Jose State and Air Force. And, and overall, you know, I guess maybe independent of their last three games before today, Air Force lost pretty bad for three games in a row. Um, really surprised with you, with both Air Force and San Jose State. And um, I thought both would be solid, but um, they, they weren't just solid. They, they both have winning records, which you just don't see. So I still think those are the bottom two teams in this league. I don't expect any huge surprises. Um, again, as we record this, we're what two hours or so removed from them just really controlling a game against Utah State and uh, beating Utah State that, that was pretty good. So um, Air Force, that is, I'm, I'm talking about. But uh, anyway, I, I think San Jose State and Air Force have been very impressive and have helped the league tremendously with what they've done in non-conference. But don't think either one of them will be out of the 10 or 11 spot. Um, I do think in the kind of moving up the, the pecking order, I think UNLV and New Mexico are probably right now in those eight, nine spots. Um, UNLV has not impressed me. I, I think UNLV, frankly, is probably the nine seed. If one team stumbles an awful lot, it might be UNLV. Um, didn't have really high expectations for them. I, I probably slotted them a little higher in the preseason than I, than I even really should have because I, I wasn't too optimistic uh, about their transfers. And I, I do think a young first-time head coach, uh, even with a name like Kruger, is is going through some learning pains and some growing pains a little bit. But um, I think UNLV is going to struggle. New Mexico, the team I cover, um, they have what in some – look, Colorado State's a complete team right now. But for a couple of years, like, they, they had a one-two punch that on any given night, I think they had a chance because they had Isaiah Stevens and David Roddy. I think New Mexico has a one-two punch in guards – that are both short six foot point guard and Jalen house and a six foot two guard and J Jamal Mashburn jr. Those two guards can, can combine for 50 on any given night. So I think on any given night, the Lobos just might be able to compete with anybody in the league uh, on their best night. But I also think they're going to shoot themselves out of some games because of those two guys. So I don't think New Mexico is going to be, you know, their bottom is probably eight or so. I think they might be able to move up to, to five or so. I don't think they're probably going to get into that first day by um, in the conference tournament, but I do think they have some pieces. And I think the way he brought players in was he didn't bring in grad transfers or seniors. He brought in freshman transfers, he brought in transfers, but he didn't bring in older transfers. He brought in guys that should be here for three years um, at least. And, and I think that's kind of building towards the next year. He still needs some size. Uh, the Lobos need some size for sure, but I, th I think it's a good, good kind of foundation for the future, but probably not this year. And then right in the middle of the pack, I, I kind of have four teams clustered together right now in Utah State, Boise State, Fresno State, and Nevada. That I, I don't know what order to put those four in. Um, before today, I might have had Utah State maybe even a, a notch higher with, with the, the kind of second tier, which I'll get to in a second. But right, right now, I think those four teams certainly have question marks, um, all of them. And uh, certainly have the potential, though, to be really good. I, I was really high on Fresno State going into last night. At Boise State, I thought they'd finally kind of turned the corner and I thought Orlando Robinson was looking great and had so many guards around him that could could light it up on a given night. And then last night, they scored 55 against a Boise State team that hadn't overly impressed me. And then there's Boise State, who I just said hadn't impressed me and they've won seven in a row. So the league in the middle is really hard to predict. But uh, above them, I I'll go with San Diego State and Wyoming on the same tier. San Diego State hasn't been overly impressive. I'm probably giving them a little bit of 
historic um, benefit of the doubt by keeping them in a second tier right now. They, they haven't done anything that's spectacular, but I think they'll be in the two, three spot with, as I'm sure some people that are frequent uh, listeners to this podcast probably have strong feelings about, but Wyoming, I, I think has proven to me that they can be a two or three seed kind of team in this league. Um, they still have some doubts. I, 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 their schedule it's impressive. It's hard to win as many games as they have, and they have gone on the road to win some of those games, but I, I still don't know what they're going to do against top-line teams. But for now, I have San Diego State and Wyoming at my 2-3 spot, kind of in a tier of their own. And then Colorado State, uh, I don't think it's a unquestionable team. I think there still might be some question marks if you want to get a little nitpicky, but it's a pretty complete Colorado State team that Nico has right now and best talent and best record obviously and everything kind of going in the right direction for him but you know certainly not that not so good that they they can just kind of overlook any opponent really in the top I'd say seven or eight maybe of this league and expect to win on their worst night I think Colorado State still has to probably produce at least a, a good solid night um, every night in the Mountain West to make sure they don't get upset you just kind of walk through each or each each member as you have them now but when i look back at your ballot preseason you know you had csu one san diego state two nevada three boise four utah state five UNLV six fresno seven new mexico eight wyo nine san jose state 10 air force 11 some of the outliers in there that you look at are that nevada which kind of has been pretty surprising that their non-conference performance has not been great um, it, what do you think has happened there? And then and conversely, what uh, obviously Utah State stumbled in their in their opening conference game today, but they've been pretty solid in the non-conference. So is Wyoming and Fresno State. What do you think has accounted for their them kind of being opposite of where you had them in your preseason rankings? Yeah. So I'll start with Nevada. I do think that, you know, I, I don't one of their most talented transfers that they got this year and everyone was really high in, in Reno on him. What um, was forward AJ Brahma, who who's been dismissed from the team? After that happened, they seemed to kind of get going a little bit. Um, so who, who knows? It might be one of the addition by subtraction kind of moves that sometimes really help teams. Um, I I will say this: I <laughs> Steve Alford uh, kind of prides himself on being a defensive coach, and uh, Craig Neal, his associate head coach, long time at UNM and and now at Nevada, is the offensive kind of coordinator of the team. Their offense is fine. I think Nevada's offense is just fine. The defense is, is not very good at, at times. And I think tonight, um, you know, they're going to be playing Kansas that, that can really hit shots. Uh, could get ugly, but look, they're, they're also they're trying to kind of uh, right the ship a little bit. And if, if they are going to right the ship and if they are going to make a run in, in the Mountain West again, I think their defense really has to get um, cleaned up an awful lot. So uh, that's why I think Nevada is surprisingly – not in contention right now, in my mind. I really thought that it would be a three-team race, and uh, Nevada's just not in that even second tier, in my mind, because of their defense. As far as Utah State goes, I was really, I guess, even where I had them in the preset, I can't remember, maybe five or six or so, but even Utah State, like they've surprised me because I thought they'd take a much bigger drop-off. They've lost an NBA player for two years in a row. Utah State doesn't lose NBA players two years in a row and, and really survive, and a coach. And um, Justin Bean this year has, has really surprised me. I thought he was 
for NBA fans, maybe the Scottie Pippen um, kind of player who, who was just a tremendous second guy on the team. He, he picked up so many loose balls. He went and crashed the boards. He scored his points when you didn't design a play for him. And I remember asking Ryan Odom in the, in the preseason, like Justin Bean's the kind of guy that is expected to, to maybe be the leader now. Do you even draw anything up for him? Because that wasn't really what, his, what he was for the last couple of years. He, he blossomed as a guy who helped Nemias Keda and maybe helped Sam Merrill and helped the rest of the team look good. Um, and this year they're expecting him to be the guy that looks good. And I'm surprised at how good Justin Bean has been in a leadership role, in a go-to role. And they're designing stuff for him. They're doing a lot of things. So Utah State has surprised me because Justin Bean has surprised me. All right, guys, let me pause real quick and give a shout out to Ginger and Baker. My daughter and I visited last week. We had such a great night out at the cafe restaurant. She had the chicken pot pie, which is her favorite, her go-to every time we visit. We also had a bowl of the pumpkin apple bisque soup, which we love. And I tried something new. I tried the ginger and baker meatloaf. It was incredible, and I am starving right now and absolutely craving it. We also bought some Christmas gifts at the shop, and the whole restaurant was just festive with great Christmas decorations. We just loved it. Loved our time there. I cannot recommend this place more. It's my favorite place in all of Fort Collins. Visit during the holidays, New Year's, have a meal, have a cocktail, sit at the bar, or visit the newly opened, renovated, and closed rooftop. It is an awesome place. Uh, check it out and support Ginger Graham and Ginger and Baker. You will not be disappointed. This conference is, is much stronger when the likes of UNLV is near the top, when New Mexico is near the top. You know, New Mexico is a program that has a storied tradition. Great, always had great fan support. But since Steve Alford departed for UCLA in 2013, it just hasn't been the same there. What's, what's the feeling around the program today with fans and the administration? Is there optimism uh, with new coach Richard Pitino? And has he been a fit there so far? Yeah, I mean, the optimism, sure. Um, all things are relative, right? Like, in, if, depending on who you ask um, here in Albuquerque of the Lobo fan base, you know, some would say this is the worst it's ever been. I mean, only seven, 8,000 fans in, in a given night are going to the pit. Um, well, seven or 8,000 fans, like those are the, the actual numbers. Like if they're announcing 9,000, it might be seven and a half, 8,000 kind of deal because they have a, a season ticket base of actual tickets sold uh, that is well above 7,000 this year. So they, you know, it's all relative, like compared to when they were getting 13,000 a night and 14,000 a night, it doesn't look as good, but this is also the longest postseason drought that this program has had since the pit opened in 1966 um, they, they haven't been to the NCAA tournament and no NIT um, in the span either. But since the 2013-14 season, which was Craig Neal's first season as coach, when, when he took over a team that had, you know, Alex Kirk, Cameron Barstow, Kendall Williams. I mean, you're talking, he took over a team that had a, a Mountain West player of the year in Kendall Williams, two players that made opening night NBA rosters and Cam Barstow and Alex Kirk, and, and some pretty good role players outside of that too, a four-year starter and Hugh Greenwood, like, he inherited a great team, and since then, since those guys left the program, those pillars of this Lobo program that Steve Alford's era kind of built, um, it, it just hasn't been good. The, the, the high point of Craig Neal's tenure, four-year tenure was that first season. The high point of Paul Weir's tenure, who took over for, for Craig Neal, was his first season when they, they had a losing record at this time in his first you know, non-conference but then they got hot and won seven in a row, rode it all the way to a Mountain West tournament championship game as a three seed and, and kind of things started clicking late. 
but that was with the roster of Joe Firstinger and Sam Logwood, guys that maybe people around the league don't really remember, like they might remember Cameron Barristow and Alex Kirk and Kendall Williams. So there hasn't been um, a really optimistic feel uh, about Lobo basketball in a while. They, they did have a good 13 and two start a couple years ago before two starters got kicked off the team for the year. And uh, that kind of led to the downfall of Paul Weir's tenure. Last year was entirely out of state. They only won four division one games overall finished in last place in the conference. So Richard Pitino comes in, brings in a mostly new cast of, of players. And uh, they're, they're guys like Jalen House, whose dad was in the NBA. They're guys like Jamal Mashburn Jr., who obviously his dad was in the NBA. And, and those two guys, I think the best thing going for the Lobos right now, and I think CSU has some of this. I've heard Nico say this about his, his top guys, certainly David Roddy. Jamal Mashburn Jr. works harder than anybody on the team. And when your best player is the guy who, who legitimately works hard, it's, I know sports fans and sports talking heads sometimes like to talk about the guy who shows up first and leaves last. And there's about, seems like there's eight or nine of those guys on every team. Just if you listen to how people talk about him, Jamal Mashburn Jr. is legitimately the, the hardest worker on this team. Jalen House, while wild um, at times, he can take really tough coaching. I've seen them tear into him pretty harshly and he can take it. Um, they did just dismiss a Kansas transfer, six foot ten starting center, Jethro Muskinen, who who just, you know, got moody. He didn't want to play defense. He didn't like being coached. He if things didn't go his way, he shut down very visibly on the court. And uh, they dismissed him. The, you know, it's early on in Patino's career and uh, at UNM, tenure at UNM, and and now's the time to do that. And they're setting a tone that two months into the season. Looks good. It looks like a good foundation. I, again, it's not one that I think is going to click for this year, but uh, I, I think the the strings that are being pulled right now are the right ones for rebuilding UNM into what I think as early as next year might maybe a little over optimistic, but as early as next year might be in contention again. Jeff, Jeff, do you think do you think the fans in Albuquerque recognize or realize how low the program had sunk with Weir? through last year? And do you think they're going to be patient as Patino tries to rebuild this, uh, this thing? No, to, to, to both of those. I don't think they're going to be overly patient. Um, they, they should be because look, last year was last year was the, you know, the lowest the program has been since, you know, for those who might remember Lobo gate um, in, in the late seventies, there was a scandal that the whole team basically got taken off. You know, they, they were boarding a plane and, and, coach said they said hey coach come here and he didn't get on the plane um because of an academic scandal an assistant coach named charlie harrison took over uh i think it was 79 either 78 or 79 um season you know if i was a lobo grad i'd remember the year but because i'm an aggie grad i can't remember the exact year i think it was the 79 season when that happened and um basically other than that year when they played a, an entire roster of i think I think they were all walk-ons, but like three guys might've been on scholarship that year. And other than that year, the Paul Weir final season last year, which was played entirely out of state, was the worst this program has been in, in over half a century. And I don't think people, even last year, people around Albuquerque got so um, either sick of hearing about COVID and, and sick of hearing about how hard it is to, to play in a hotel out of state all the time and all that, that they just didn't want to hear it anymore. And we're wondering why the Lobos just couldn't win. Well, the, the reality is their best player, McWatch Malawatch, was pretty good, but he didn't really have a second best player on that team last year. 
And, and they were after games going back to a hotel room and sitting in there and they had meals brought to their rooms and lived three or four months in a hotel. There were, there was, you know, there was depression on the team. There were a couple of players who, who had, I think some pretty serious bouts last year of depression. They were in a hotel room for three months. They weren't with friends and, and girlfriends back in Albuquerque. So um, last year was miserable. And I don't think fans in Albuquerque really realized how much they had to rebuild this year. And even when they were picked eighth in the preseason, and I picked them eighth, um, maybe should have been ninth at least. Um, I, I think fans were like, wow, nobody respects us. This is, this is ridiculous. You know, we're going to make a run. And that's just not realistic to think you're going to bounce back from last year as quickly as some fans here think. Um, but I, I do think they're doing it the right way. They don't defend very well right now, so fans aren't going to put up with that very long. But the effort they're starting to put out now, um, I think, is a much higher level. And fans will appreciate effort and diving for loose balls. And, and there's some guys on this team that do that. You know, just real quick aside, a little, little sidetrack. I had a coworker at Hewlett Packard who actually played on the uh, – the team in the late seventies under Ellenberger. And he told me all kinds of wonderful stories. He was like the, the 12th player on the bench who averaged about a point a game. Yeah. Uh, and, but he told me all kinds of stories about that team. And he was good for the hundred dollar handshake when they got on the flights. The other guys, were good for, the other guys were good for about 500 bucks. <laughs> that storm and Norman era. I mean, again, maybe some people around the mountain West don't realize there was a, there was a couple teams in those late seventies, um, under Norm Ellenberger, who uh, they were legitimate, man. They they were on a national level. If this if this program had ever made a run to a Final Four or something like that, it, it was those teams that really, really probably should have figured out how to get through that opening round of the NCAA tournament, which is, again, remarkable. Um, the, the, the Pitt and Lobo program, um, UNM basketball, is pretty well known for having some good teams through the years and have never been to the Sweet 16. And, and people – I think are surprised by that. Sometimes they've never made it past the first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Um, so those teams though, those were the ones Michael Cooper, especially that Marvin Johnson, they had a couple, couple really all-time greats uh, college level players on, on those teams. I, I saw the 77, 78 team. I was in graduate school at the university of Arizona at the time. And I got to see that team. They, they got, they were ranked as high as fifth, I think in the country that yeah. year, they're a fantastic team. Yeah. Well, let's say Mike joined us here, Jeff. So let's let him hop in here and ask you a couple things. Hey, Mike. Jeff, Mike, Mike Rowe, hey, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Mike. Yeah, so coming into this season, um, the Mountain West had four new coaches, as you've been talking about, Coach Patino in Albuquerque, who you cover, uh, Timmy Miles at San Jose State, Kevin Kruger at UNLV, and Ryan Odom at Utah State. <clears throat> so now that non-conference play has been wrapped up, how do you think each fared as, as we head into the Mountain West schedule? Um, I'll start with Ryan Odom, who who I think surprised me the most. I, I know he, he came from a program that people know because of the 16-1 upset. Um, I, that said, I I wasn't expecting Utah State to be as good as, as they were um, coming in with the coaching change and, and a little bit of a philosophy change, obviously, and they, and they lost a a great defensive center and stuff like that. So Ryan Odom has really surprised me. I, I do think he went into air force today and I, I put it on Twitter earlier. I don't know how many first time coaches go into the, the Academy and go down to Clune and realize that's a tough place to play. Like they, I think first time coaches might look at air force on film and say, okay, we know how to defend that. We, we get what they're doing. And, you know, they coach up their team as best they can. 
but I don't think anybody's their first time at Clune and maybe I'll have to go look it up and see what the first time record is of coaches that have, you know, never been assistants or anything in this league that went, that go into Clune and win, because I'll bet you it's not a great record. Um, but that said, Ryan Odom's really impressed me. Uh, Tim Miles certainly has impressed me. I, I will say this, Tim Miles is being graded on the curve. That's sort of uh, it's worth noting that the bar is so low for San Jose state basketball that some of the teams they beat were, were, were solid wins. Maybe same with Air Force, too, this year. Um, their non-conference record being a winning record is, is nice to see, and it does help the league. But I, I don't know that San Jose State is anything necessarily to worry about. And, and of course, I'm sure he would l- love hearing me say that. But um, they, they did what they're supposed to, right? They, they played some bad teams and beat them. And um, so Tim Miles changing that program, I, I think their ceiling – is probably middle of the pack. I don't know that San Jose State, I'll believe it when I see it, if San Jose State is ever better than a middle of the pack team. But man, he, he certainly looks like he's getting in there, right? And um, so Tim Miles, I think, has done better than than just kind of hold serve. I think uh, Ryan Odom certainly has. Kevin Kruger is a guy who I already kind of mentioned. I, I had low expectations and kind of even regret putting him where I did in the preseason poll because I, I think it was asking an awful lot of him to come in and change UNLV that quickly just because his last name was Kruger. And I think some UNLV fans, which is not uncommon for UNLV fans, had really unrealistic expectations when they saw so many Big 12 transfers come in. If you look at the playing time of all those Big 12 transfers that came in, they weren't big-time contributors. Um, so UNLV, Kruger, kind of a to-be-determined at this point because I do think he's building for the future. Um, even though he didn't necessarily do that in the way that he recruited and built that roster. And, and Patino, who I'm closest with because I cover the team, um, I, the record certainly isn't outstanding. They've had some bad losses, although the Towson loss, which, which looked really bad because the name is Towson. Well, if you look where Towson is in the, in the, end, in the net right now and stuff like that, Towson's a, a better team than people think, but they still embarrassingly bad loss and stuff like that. UNM has not been overly impressive, but I can see how they're sort of building this towards next year. Um, I, I've been impressed overall with Patino, and I've told you know former Lobo coaches who kind of check in to sort of see how that new coach is doing. Um, I, I tell them I, I think he's going to get this thing you know back pretty quick. I, I think as soon as next year they can they can be a real player in the league again, and I think their building blocks are a couple of. Uh, experienced guard transfers. And when you have two really good guards who on a given night, as I mentioned earlier, on a given night, Jalen House, um, as, as long as they don't shoot you out of the game, Jalen House and Jamal Mashburn Jr., those two guards are going to be able to, to put up 40 to 50 combined in a, on a given night. They're going to be in a lot of games in the Mountain West just because of those two guards. And if they get a third um, on a given night, they're, they're going to beat some teams that, that they shouldn't beat, not on paper anyway. So looking at the 11 teams in the Mountain West, who are each program's best and most underrated players? Ooh, that's a good question. So let's start with, um, I mean, at New Mexico, I, I mentioned their two best players. Jamal Mashburn Jr. is the best player. It's not Jalen House. Jalen House is certainly kind of the, as he goes, the team seems to go um, because he can shoot them out of it. He's had a seven turnover game that they lost. He can be really bad and, and it's hard to overcome when he's bad. But, but that said, Jamal Mashburn Jr. is their best, their best player. I think K.J. Jenkins off the bench is who fans should know about at New Mexico. Um, 
Uh, I guess I could start at the bottom. Air Force, I, I can tell you, I was surprised to see their freshman tonight not do a whole lot because he'd won three freshman of the year or freshman of the week awards earlier. It was Ethan Taylor. Um, obviously, A.J. Walker, I think, is still their guy. Um, that as he goes, they go. But they had a couple starters out today, too. Um, but Ethan Taylor is, is a guy that I've been impressed with on paper. I can't say I've seen him play a whole lot. When I watched him today, he didn't do a whole lot. But uh, I, I think their surprise to me is, is a freshman in Ethan Taylor. Freshmen at the academy don't usually do that much, but he, he has. Um, Omari Moore at uh, San Jose State is, is a guy that I think is really good and could probably start on, on a good number of Mountain West teams um, for San Jose State. So he's been impressive as well. Um, but some of the more kind of, I guess, prominent teams, um, if you will, at UNLV, I don't know. I, I've been so unimpressed overall with UNLV that it, it certainly seems like their best players are supposed to be Donovan Williams, right? A, a transfer from the Big 12 and, and stuff like that. But uh, it sounded, I, I'm sorry, Bryce Hamilton is clearly their best player. Some of their new players that were supposed to be bigger, bigger roles, I think, is like a Donovan Williams and Royce Ham. And I, I've watched them a couple of times and they're good, but not great. And I think that's why I think they're probably an eighth or ninth place team in this league right now. Bryce Hamilton's still very good on a, on a given night. Bryce Hamilton could be a first teamer in this league um, if he's OK with just not shooting every time. Sometimes he has to be more of a distributor than I think he wants. But uh, at the top of the league, obviously, Colorado State. I don't need to tell you guys about their roster. David Roddy is everything that, you know, every optimistic, here's the ceiling of David Roddy kind of uh, prediction you could have made at the preseason. He's, he seems to be that right now. I think people, and I remember telling Rob Doster this, um, or I think it was Rob, I told a couple of people this on, on Twitter early in the season. Like, I, I think people forget about Isaiah Stevens because, because David Roddy came on so strong last year and, and all Isaiah Stevens, does is kind of run the team like a, a classic point guard who can also do the non-classic point guard stuff if you need him to like score 20 in a night if, if you need him to but he, his his assist to turnover ratio is fantastic um I think they're both legitimate first teamers in this league it's hard to hard to beat a team when they have two first team players and and CSU clearly does at this point um San Diego State Matt Bradley's been a little bit disappointing to me uh, you averaged almost 20 or he did average 20 at Cal last year in the Pac-12. San Diego State never really seems to have a player that can go off offensively. And, and I thought maybe he would. He, he really hasn't done offensively what I thought he might. Um, so San Diego State's still in that second tier to me. And I think he'll probably be fine offensively overall, but maybe a little disappointing. Um, let's see, my next team on the list, Wyoming. Okay, so Wyoming's a team that I, I can tell you, Graham E.K. is a guy I talked, so Dave Pilipovich, former Air Force coach, was an assistant with the Lobos last year. I remember talking to him over the summer, and he went to a Wyoming uh, workout over the summer. And, and I talked to him shortly after because he was helping out, um, if I remember correctly, oh, he was helping out with this uh, summer league team that had Anthony Mathis, a former Lobo. So I was talking to Dave Pilipovich about that, and he told me about this Wyoming practice he went to, and he said, man, Graham E.K., watch out for him. He's, he's not just going to be good. He's, he's really, really good. So that was over the summer. I wish I would have put something on social media so everybody could have thought I was the smart one on that because he's been fantastic. Um, he, he has been the difference for Wyoming in my mind, still a little apprehensive to say they're going to make a, a run for a title in this league. But if they do, it's Graham Ike is the, the newcomer and Hunter Maldonado is a, a college 
player that I think any team would want. He's I'm a big Hunter Maldonado fan, and he's he's still as good as he as he was last year and the year before. So I think that's why Wyoming right now is my number three team. Um, I mentioned Justin Bean earlier. Justin Bean, who I expected to be their best player, has still been the surprise of Utah State to me because he's been even better as a lead, um, as the as the alpha dog, I guess, on that team. So uh, who am I forgetting? I, I don't have a list here in front of me. Let me. I'm probably forgetting a couple teams I know, but oh, Grant Sherfield's quietly averaging 20 over his last like five games, I think, for Nevada. Um, kind of out of nowhere, you know, preseason player of the year. Kind of forgot about him for a month, maybe because they had a two-week pause and they were losing some games early. You kind of forget that Grant Sherfield's pretty darn good too. So I, I am excited to see him on a on a big stage tonight against Kansas. I was excited to see David Roddy on a big stage against Alabama and Isaiah Stevens, and didn't get to see that. So. Um, yeah, I don't think there's any huge surprises player wise in this league right now. Um, I think all, all the preseason top players are, are probably still right up there other than Graham EK maybe is a, a first teamer, at least potential first teamer that maybe wasn't in the conversation at the preseason. So, Hey Jeff, uh, in terms of, uh, end of season, um, as you look at the conference, how many how many NCAA bids do you think the Mountain West will get this year? Do you think we'll get more than one? Man, it, so you look at the league overall, right? If, if you base like that prediction on how well the league is doing, you would say, of course, this is the best the league has done in a while. But then you start looking at individual resumes and there's holes, man. Like there, you look at Utah State who has a high net and, uh, you know, all the computer rankings have them fairly high. Same with Boise State kind of on the cusp. Um they have big holes. They have home losses. They have UC Davis losses. They have an Air Force loss. Today isn't going to help Utah State. So I, I'm a little nervous for this league getting that second or what I thought might have even been a third team if you just look at the overall league's strength this year. But then you have to remember the overall league strength this year is a lot to do with Air Force not being awful. San Jose State not being awful. New Mexico was historically bad last year and they're not awful anymore. Those teams at the bottom has sort of brought up the whole league overall. So when you look at the league and some computer rankings is even above the PAC 12 right now. And if you look at like quad one wins and all that kind of stuff, the problem is there's not a whole lot of quad one wins. And that includes Colorado state, frankly, even, even the Mississippi state win right now. Um, aren't they on the cusp? I think of, I, I can't remember what they're, I haven't looked at their net in a while, but I know they were like 47. I think 42 now. So like 42, that. so that's better. They, okay. So, you know, 50 is what they need to, they need to stay a top 50 net team. Mississippi state does to keep that as a quad one win. So I think the league looks like a league that should get three teams in. Right. And I just don't know who the second team is right now. I mean, Colorado state, I think is, I, I'd be surprised if Colorado state isn't in that large and we're talking at large here. Anybody can win the tournament. I get all that. Um, I don't think I know who I would say is going to be that second team getting a, an at-large bid right now. San Diego State didn't knock off any huge teams this year um, in the non-conference, so it's going to be interesting. That said, their net rankings and Ken Palm rankings and all that stuff, there's what I think as of today, I think five or was it six teams in the Mountain West are in the top 65. And in a 68-team tournament, you that's the you know, that's the range you want to be in right now as you start conference play. If, if you're in the 60s, you can move yourself up to 40s and 50s and be in that large kind of caliber team but man i couldn't tell you who the second team in this league that's going to get into the tournament is right now yeah well it was unfortunate that csu lost the tulsa game and then the alabama game 
to really bolster their non-conference schedule. They're ending up 10 and 0 with their out-of-conference marquee wins as St. Mary's, Creighton, and Mississippi State. Do you think that still holds up not having without the Alabama game at, at minimum on their uh, on their schedule? Yeah, it, it does. I, I think Colorado State's okay. Um, it's not great. I mean, the, look, none of those teams are ranked, right? I mean, their uh, ranking isn't actually one of the factors that the committee looks at, but like they, they beat a lot of good teams. And I think they beat a lot, or at least three, that are probably NCAA tournament teams. Um, it's hard to argue with that. But they, I think what they did is beat a lot of teams that are going to end up and like in depending, you know, pick your computer model and your net ranking or your Ken Palm, Sagar and whatever. They picked a lot of teams that are going to finish in like about a 35 to 55 range, which is a good solid win, but it's not a great win. It's not, it's not, it's not like they knocked off um, an ACC contender or something like that. They, they beat good solid teams and they're supposed to, they didn't lose anything. So it's not, it's kind of being a little nitpicky to, uh, to, to bash their, their resume much, but it is what it is. Uh, they, they didn't get that marquee Alabama game and opportunity and just so, I don't even know if irony is so ironic to me that like Alabama's drop in, in the poll last week was because Davidson stepped in and it was Colorado state's opportunity to, to do that. Right. It was Colorado state who, who should have moved up in the polls with an opportunity to knock off Alabama. Well, their fill-in team knocks off Alabama and Alabama gave up, I think I had a note in, in a story I did here in Albuquerque the other day. Um, Alabama lost 450 points, I think it was, in the AP poll last week, dropping from 10th to 19th. And of those 450 points, well, that's probably where an idle Colorado State was able to gain 30-some points to, to bump up from 21 to 20. So even though they didn't play Alabama, their fill-in team knocking off Alabama certainly helped uh, make some points available for, for Colorado to move up even without playing a game. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, I, it, do you think there's some, some, what of a stigma with the mountain West conference because it has performed pretty abysmally in the conference or in the NCAA tournament pretty much forever. I mean, there, there's been a couple decent runs, but uh, only a couple runs, the sweet 16 and, and, and that's it really. So yeah. It, you think that's part of it? That with, I, I do. I do. I think it's hard to overcome that. I, I didn't, I didn't really buy into that a whole lot. I thought each year could really be looked at independent of the others, but man, it, it's, it's hard to ignore multiple big seasons that the mountain West has when, when multiple teams just, just don't perform. And that includes, you know, first couple of years I covered uh, of the Lobos. They, they were a three seed and lost to Harvard. Um, the next year it was a seven, 10 matchup. They lost um, to Stanford and, and higher seeds losing, never making a run, you know, Muss had his run to the, to the sweet 16 um, with some guys that are in the NBA right now that, that certainly helped, but then he moved on. Um, yeah. I, I think it's hard to just sort of forget about that every year and expect the committee or the national media to, to forget that. Oh yeah. The mountain West, like that's a good league. They do this every year until March. And I, I think that's uh, until, until the league proves otherwise, I, I think that's a stigma that's that, that is real. And that is going to stick for a while. Hey, a little little change of pace, Jeff. Um, yeah. You do a lot of fun tweets, uh, picking Mountain West Conference games alongside your daughter. Is your daughter is she is she a big college basketball fan, or does she do it just to humor you? 
certainly more to humor me than because um, she's a college basketball fan. I, I will say she, and she likes competition. Um, she, she never really was into sports a whole lot playing them. Uh, she, for, again, for those who might follow me on Twitter, like she, she tried dancing once a few years back, put her in a dance class, didn't think much of it. She tried flamenco because a friend of ours niece was performing once and we went to see her and uh, she said, Oh, I want to do that. And we're like, oh, okay. Flamenco. Um, she's super competitive. She is a fantastic flamenco dancer, which does not run in our family. Why, why Jeff Grammer's daughter is a, like the queen of flamenco now in Albuquerque at 12 years old. And was like the, this lead role in their Christmas uh, performance mm-hmm. beyond me. Um, but that said, she, she also loves anything competition wise. She, you know, she was a third grader running for a school president against the fifth graders and, and gave a speech where she was promising chocolate milk and, and she gets <laughs> up in front of people and, and does all that stuff. She has no, no, she's not shy at all. She wants to compete and wants to be competitive. So um, when I told her, Hey, you want to, you want to have a little contest with me that I'm going to put on Twitter? She's like, absolutely. She had, she didn't care what it was. And she, she loves talking trash to me. Um, <laughs> and, and believe me, she, she wants to know the score every day when uh how'd i do how'd i do and and i tell her um i'll do another quick aside which is probably just you know more humor me than than anything on this but i was gone when i think i was on a road trip my wife um was with a co-worker and my daughter at a local pizza place here um one night and and the lady walks up this is a couple years ago now uh, um a woman walks from working there walks up and says excuse me are you are you guys are you guys jeff Grammer's family my wife and and her co-worker especially were like yeah well, why it's like oh okay well I recognize Jaden from the pics on Twitter and um my daughter was probably nine years old at the time and my she thought it was the funniest thing ever because she got recognized in a restaurant as from Twitter as the girl who beats her dad picking <laughs> games by flipping the coin and and my wife's co-worker was absolutely floored that uh um, somebody recognized her from Twitter and, and just couldn't believe it. So anyway, that that's the aside here. She's she's become a little bit of a semi-celebrity as as Jeff's daughter because I'm the only thing that people here can bear. People here that put up with me is because I still post cute pictures of my daughters on social media, <laughs> not because of anything I do. That's awesome. So Jeff, Jeff, uh, I'm kind of a foodie, and and one of the things I usually do is ask ask questions uh, of our guests considering uh local cuisine so first question red or green look i i'm not gonna say christmas i know a lot of people like saying christmas to mix them i'm not a guy who wants to mix them um i like green chili on my on my like burritos if it's like a beef burrito or something like that if it's a if it's a chicken enchilada but i love red on huevos rancheros um i'm i'm a red more more than green i'm a red guy but it depends, man. Like, I don't think it's an easy answer. Uh, I, I think it depends on what you're eating. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I, I like to eat. Uh, I'm a guy who doesn't skip out on a whole lot of meals. So, so I do have a strong opinion. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for some good red chili. Hey, I, I'm, I'm in that same boat. I'm in that same boat. I'm a red guy, though, by the way. So yeah. that said, where's your go-to in, in Albuquerque? So I have a couple um, for, for kind of a little bit cheaper anyway and quicker. Garcia's is a local place that, that I, I like. Um, it's not, I don't think, high on a lot of people's lists, but it's, it's a, you know, there's multiple locations of it here in Albuquerque. I like a place called Garcia's. Um, but 
look, I'll, I'll take any, there, there are probably five places in this town that I think can give you a really good enchilada plate. And, um, you know, even the, well, there's even a place in the airport that, that for people that might fly in that most squat this, that, uh, I, I think, uh, there, there's some good places like that. Um, but I'm also, you can go to Sadie's, which was Rick Majerus, uh, when he was the Utah coach, he just loved coming here. He would, the team would get on a bus as legend has it. It was before I covered the team as legend has it. He would get on a, you know, they'd land, the team would get on the bus and go to the hotel and, and whatever video coordinator or assistant coach got the rental car that coaches sometimes do in cities. They don't always, there's usually like one rental car that some coaches might get, um, He'd have either go with that guy or that guy would be straight to Sadie's when they landed. They'd get an order of food and they'd eat it in the hotel that night. And then Majerus would take the whole coaching staff for breakfast multiple days. If they were here three days, they'd go eat their three days at, at Sadie's and, and have breakfast there. So um, because of the Majerus connection, I, I know Sadie's is a safe um, bet to always recommend too. But also Frontier. Frontier, um, which is right on Central. Um, not the best part of town, but right across the street from campus. And it's an all night kind of place. Um, Cent or Frontier has some good Mexican food too. So I, I think there's a lot of places. I'm, I'm a big fan of the hole in wall, hole in the wall kind of place. If you can find one of those that has a good plate, I, I'll take it, man. Yeah, I definitely love Sadie's uh, and Frontier. That's my go-to for breakfast every time. And I got to bring home a, a dozen rolls in the, yeah, a few bags yeah. of tortillas every time I go. It you know that's that's coming home with me. Absolutely, so, absolutely. One one last, Lada Burger or Whataburger? Um, the, so that's a loaded question because Lada Burger is the right answer in New Mexico. You got to say Lada Burger, but man, uh, it, it pains me to say this, but it seems like they've fallen off a little bit in recent years here, and uh, I. It's hard to beat a good Whataburger now. Um, I'll stick with Whataburger. I was born in New Mexico, and, and the, the New Mexico answer is Whataburger. I'll, I'll stick with that for now, but I'm willing to admit that it seems to have fallen off a little bit recently. Love it. Love it. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That's good stuff, Jeff. Hey, uh, just a couple more basketball questions for me, and and I think we're good. But uh, have you have you had any discussions? Have you, have you heard anything as far as – you know, the re-sparking of discussions with conference expansion. I know there was discussions with Gonzaga a couple of years ago. Um, anybody else uh, on the radar that you've heard of? Um, no is the quick answer. I, I haven't heard a whole lot of that. But that said, um, Gonzaga is, is sort of, I think there's a file somewhere on someone's desk. Whatever you whatever it takes to kind of spark those conversations up again, the Gonzaga files ready to go the second there's an opening again. I, I think they would um, they would really love to make that run at them again. And uh, I, I think other than that, I don't think that Gonzaga and some other pieces maybe would would work. But uh, I don't think they have a an interest in some non basketball or I mean non football playing programs. Um, other than Gonzaga. And, and that's all I've heard. I have not heard anything viable. I know UTEP, uh, I get asked a lot from El Paso media, why can't UTEP be in the conversation? I just don't think there's any interest in that market at this point. Um, if, if the Mountain West ever did expand into Texas, maybe. Um, but even then, you're, you're talking El Paso is only three hours south of, of Albuquerque. And I think they'd rather go for the, the San Antonio's, of the, you know, UT San Antonio or something like that. 
Um, but no, I, I can't say I've heard a whole lot more on, on conference realignment or going after somebody anyway. And last thing for me is the, you've probably visited most of the Mountain West cities. What, which are your favorite cities and venues? Um, so that 2012-13 season, which was Steve Alford's last year, I was so impressed with so many venues because they were all selling out. Moby was a sellout for that game. That was Colton Iverson year. And that was, you know, Kendall Williams had his year and uh, his big game there. And like, so Moby was was great to me when packed. Um, uh, obviously, Viejas, I, I know what people think of the show. I love the show. I'm I'm as a non-fan, I can get away with loving the show and, and every little jab and needle and poke that they do to everybody else. I, I love it. Lawler, when full, is good. When not full, I don't like Lawler and Logan all that much. And, and unfortunately, it's it's been more that lately. Even with some good teams, I was surprised um, that, it, that it wasn't that good. But, you know, Boise doesn't do a whole lot for me. Um, the Extra Mile Arena, which was once Taco Bell Arena, doesn't do a whole lot. Um, I do like double A. I, I like, I like Laramie. I, I love the Laramie trip every year. I know people think I'm crazy for it, but uh, it's been a while since I've seen that arena really impress me. Um, so, you know, the, the places I like it is Moby on a good night's right up there. I, I do think I cover the, the, the team that has the best home arena overall. They don't have a good student section um, at, at the pit, but I do think the pit um, at its best is still the best arena in this league and and uh, even the fans here don't believe me when I say that sometimes because I think they think it's really fallen off and it frankly it has and I still think it might be the best um so I, I do like the arena I cover on a nightly basis in the pit um the most I think Moby is up there I like Clune, but not because it's a great arena necessarily um and I'm trying to think what else oh Fresno uh, so I think the Save Mart Center I, I think Fresno is a great arena but they don't get fans I mean I just think it's a nice looking seats are all nice great arena but you know, there's nothing quite like Viejas and the pit overall um, venue wise, but uh, no joke right up there is when it's good. I really like the way Moby feels when, when it, when it's lively. And I, I would hope this year that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. Are, are you going to be able to, uh, I mean, I assume you're coming to Fort Collins for, uh, to cover the, uh, the UNM game. Yeah, that's the plan. That, that is the plan. Let's, let's knock on wood on, on it happening. Good deal. We'll have to make sure we grab you and say hello. Yeah. Well, the other thing, though, is I want to make sure. So we've already touched on the food thing. I've got a great little local restaurant I'd love to take you to. Um, it's just down the road for me named La Luz. Uh, great little, uh, great little, not quite a hole in the wall, but it's close. Good. <laughs> and I, I think you'd enjoy it. So I'd love to have you and maybe invite a couple of the other guys, maybe Kevin Lytle and, uh, and maybe Justin Michael, something like that. Maybe get together and have a lunch the, the day of the game or something like that. Yeah, I'm game. Awesome. All right, Jeff, thank you so much. I really appreciate all your time. That was really fascinating and a, and a great conversation. Yeah, you guys now know I, I can ramble about just about anything and uh, don't know what the heck I just said, but uh, it lasted almost an hour, so I must have said something. <laughs> yep, you did. You did. It was great insight. Really, really appreciate it. So I want to thank our guest, Jeff Grammer of the Albuquerque Journal. You Mountain West fans should be following him on Twitter at Jeff Grammer, that's G-E-O-F-F-G-R-A-M-M-E-R. -E and you can read his stuff at abqjournal.com. All right, before we close, let me encourage you to visit Mighty River Brewing Company. They're great supporters of ramnation.com. They've offered tons of free beer and growlers and beer flights 
for our contest winner. So I know people have been enjoying that. They have $5 pints on Mondays and Tuesdays, Brewery Bingo on Wednesdays. And this Thursday, they're releasing their new beer, Hawaiian Haze Pineapple Mango Hazy IPA. <laughs> Owner Dan Miller is just saying F it, I guess, with uh, this winter vibe. But uh, as he's going, you know, summer feel on this Hawaiian beer. But uh, you check that out. And you can also check out their other new release from the Barrel Aged series called In the Deep. It's an English old ale. It's aged in old elk bourbon barrels. Released it last week. It's available on draft in the tap room or in four-pack cans to go. Try those or any of their other 14 beers on tap. Dan Miller is a great Ram fan, longtime Ram Nationer. Stop in and say hello to him. Thank him for all he does. Show Ram Nation on your phone and get a dollar off your beers. That's Mighty River Brewing Company. Really good stuff. Hope you all enjoyed it. Want to thank you all for listening. Thank you, Steve Ivy. Thank you, Mike Rowe. Want to wish everybody a happy new year and go Rams. Go Rams. But didn't pick out. Finally got a call from a girl I wanted.